caught it bad just today. You hit me with a call to your place. Ain't been out in a while anyway. Was hoping I could catch you throwing smiles in my face. Romantic talking, you don't even Greetings, dear people. This is Ian McKenzie of the Mythic Masculine. And I felt inspired to record a special bonus episode um, of, a, of a bit of a wondering on the new music video for Little Nas X's Montero. Um, one, because it's so good. I saw it a, a few days ago and I was blown away by the level of mythological imagery so well put together. Um, and when I uh, shared it uh, on Instagram and, and just said how genius it was, um, I had a friend actually ask me, you know, why I thought that. And rather than type, um, you know, a long response on Instagram, uh, I thought I'd talk it out and offer my take um, on why I think it's actually phenomenal, um, mimetic mind bomb in this time, particularly. And just to say a little bit more too, as well, I'm the founder of the Mythic Masculine podcast, as well as Network. And in the podcast, I speak with many different people on um, really looking through the mythic lens, uh, through story, history, and culture on the emerging masculinities. And so when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is all right here. I mean, amazing. Uh, so here's my breakdown. And just offer a little bit or two of my identity, I could say, is... Um, you know, take it or leave it. This is a perspective offered from white, cis, mostly hetero uh, man, uh, and and my take on seeing, uh, yeah, what I what I recognize here, mythologically speaking. And certainly, there's going to be a lot of motifs, likely in this piece, that I'm not able to recognize and um, can't speak from. But uh, I understand that also, Little Nas X has been uh, vilified heavily, you know, by uh, largely the Christian side and even others who uh, maybe don't fully understand actually what, what the power of what he's done and the courageousness uh, of what he's done actually with this video. Okay, so here's my breakdown. Um, I mean, there's spoilers, but hopefully you just go watch it on YouTube. It's an astounding three-minute um, uh, transmission. Um, but the story opens up and he has a few words to say around um, that often we hide ourselves, so we have to hide ourselves in the world, and that here, and the story opens on the Garden of Eden, uh, depiction of the Garden of Eden. He says, you know, here we can, you know, we can, it doesn't exist, we can be yourself. And so he, by starting in the Garden of Eden, of course, which is known as the sort of original paradise of, of humanity from the Christian tradition, that um, he's depicted as this almost um, joyful, boyish uh, minstrel, you know, kind of enjoying himself in the in the beauty, and then he's come upon by a snake, which uh, of course draws upon the Lilith, uh, and the the uh, you know the snake that attempts Adam in order to um, you know have a bite, and and really it's the tree of knowledge, uh, and and I think more historically understood as the knowledge of good and evil, and so in the story, fascinating, you know the the snake character comes upon him and, you know, he kind of tries to flee at first, but then is falls under the spell of this uh, character who is um, depicted, I mean, as a snake, but also I believe as a man in this sense, it's clear that there's a homoerotic um, element there. And when he falls under the spell and uh, literally falls back down to earth, uh, when the, the snake um, um, seduces him, you know, into an erotic encounter as it happens, uh, the next scene, I mean, it's brilliantly depicted as a fall, right, which is great. He falls to the earth, but into erotic 
you know, joy and connection. Oh, and after actually the erotic encounter, it shifts, the camera shifts to the tree where on the tree there's burned on words, which are actually from Plato's Symposium. And what the words say are, after the division, the two parts of man, each desiring his other half. And there's this sort of mythological account uh, where that humans originally two bodies stuck together, some man and man, some man and woman, some man and woman. And uh, after the bodies were separated, that they, they were sort of doomed to long for each other. And then the camera shifts back to the Colosseum, where he's essentially tried for uh, you know, homoerotic love, which is deemed a sin you know, in the eyes of, of the, that mythological religious context. And uh, there's, he's surrounded by people who are stone people who actually look like they're uh, in, in uh, collars, like sort of golden collars, which I mean, for me implies a kind of slavery, that they're, they're enslaved. And also they're stone people. And my, for me, the sense of that they are, you know, sort of, they've become stone, they've become disconnected from their own erotic um, truth and authenticity. And so he's quite literally killed, you know, by stoning in the, in the scene. And then it shifts to him being drifting up to heaven, actually. And uh, there's a character that hovers above him, um, which is, uh, I looked up his name, Ganymede, uh, which is, I believe, a kind of um, angelic Greek, Greek mythological figure, which, um, according to lore, was a boy whose beauty was so intense that Zeus turned into an eagle and carried him to Olympus. And uh, understood to be long a symbol of homosexuality, um, and as as little Nas X's character is you know approaching him, all of a sudden this massive stripper pole you know shoots up from down below, and I mean it's a brilliant uh, aesthetic that he's then cast down to hell in this uh, moment, and yet fascinatingly you know he rather than sort of being cast down and tumble down to hell, he actually pole dances down to, down to hell. Uh, in a way which for me signifies a kind of, you know, if he's going to go to hell, then he's going to do it under his own style, you know, his own control, which is a brilliant kind of reclaiming of, of power in that moment. Um, and when he arrives in hell, he, uh, you know, is basically at the feet or the, the gates of hell, the gates of the devil's uh, lair. And there's words he walks over in Latin uh, as well that say, they condemn what they do not understand. Uh, which again, there's a powerful reference there to his own Christian upbringing of which, you know, it's understood that uh, reading a bit of his story, he came out as gay, I believe a number about two years ago. Uh, after a time, of course, as many do, um, uh, w- they decide that they're never going to tell or that, you know, of course the whole um, fear of coming out in this uh, time is still very real for many um, who identify that way um, or who choose to or not. And so, Clearly, again, there's this reference to that the, the condemnation of that which they don't understand, and that he himself has been the recipient of. But he's reclaiming um, his his authenticity, his truth. Uh, and then, of course, there's a famous scene where he gives a lap dance to the devil, uh, in a, a powerfully articulated, powerfully expressed scene, um, which you know again is really interesting because, um, in some sense, he he sort of fully owns the underworld the erotic underworld in this scene, you know, the lap dance is certainly an expression of, of power and seduction and the devil in a way seems somewhat unmoved. And yet at the same time, you know, you can pick up, he's probably a little turned on. And, uh, and then in the final scene, he, he sort of moves to the back of the devil, somewhat unawares it seems and breaks his neck and then uh, claims his crown 
claims the devil's crown and puts it on his head. At which point he then, uh, you know, big wings spin out from his body, little Nas X's body, and then his eyes glow. And they glow sort of a shade of red, it seems. And it's interesting in the interpretations that I read uh, online as well. Some say, well, you know, he killed the devil and that's, you know, the power, his power killed the devil. uh, And then he, or he became the devil. And for me, actually, what I think is actually a more powerful interpretation is that he took the horns from the devil. And in some sense, he, during this whole journey from the Garden of Eden to, you know, the gates of heaven to hell, that he essentially breaks the binary. You know, he breaks the the whole construct of heaven and hell itself. And this is something I want to spend a bit of time on now, because I do think it's a pretty powerful uh, bridging representation or mind bomb, you know, for me using that terminology. And so this is where we get into the realm of like the the split between sex and divinity or, you know, the, the heaven and hell, the overworld and the underworld, which is so prevalent. I'll just use it in the, in the Christian context. And so, you know, it's somewhat understood that originally with the story of the Garden of Eden and, and that the temptress in a way that was the woman, right? The woman tempted Adam to take a bite from the apple and, it's not hard to see how that construct has set up essentially blame for women for, for the fall, for essentially man losing uh, home in Eden in, in utopia was essentially the woman's fault. Um, and from there, all of sort of carnality itself was deemed um, sinful, right? Or, or, you know, unclean or impure. And there's something really, you know, a lot of scholars have done amazing work on this, Rian Eisler and of course many others, but there's this sense that the, you know, fun looks at the the transcendent impulse to to get up and away um, to to spirit, you know, on high or to a god above. That there's this real um, veneration uh, or or maybe an over veneration on that which is not the body, right? That which is not with that which cannot decay, uh, that which can uh, live forever, right? There's a lot of emphasis on this living forever uh, in the kingdom of heaven. And so what that ends up being often is a very life-denying or, or sort of body-denying um, religious construct. And um, not only that, you, one can even see that map on the distinction between the head or the sort of upper body, right? And then the lower body, which is often given to the more primal instincts of carnality, of sexuality, you know, defecation, um, all the rest. And I would say that this split, which is really at the origin story of Christianity, um, you know, runs right up into the present day and that the, um, the, the construct itself, you know, from good and evil, that there's such a thing that is pure good and then such a thing that is pure evil is a, a kind of bo- false binary, um, which in some sense, you know, you have to almost step out of it to be able to recognize it as a binary that creates itself. You know, there's this line, I, don't, I can't remember if it was Carl Jung or not, but he said, you know, the, the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. And so anytime that you set up some construct of purity, of, of you know, light and, and mm, perfection, then you immediately conjure its opposite. Meaning, how could it be any other way? Because, you know, again, there's no such thing as that which doesn't contain its opposite. And I would make the case that my understanding of um, indigenous cultures through their power of story and through stories that don't end up necessarily creating these kinds of false constructs, particularly in 
uh, monotheistic religions, that instead they allow for a lot more flexibility and a lot more, um, you know, mystery and, and um, not, there's no need to have this definition of perfection. Uh, and I would also make the case that my understanding, you know, s- small as it is, or at least uh, burgeoning as it is around queer theory and, and queering as a verb, is that this is the function of queering in that it actually, in a way, sidesteps the binary um, the, the kind of locked in binary thinking and provides new possibilities for understanding, um, uh, for, yeah, for shifting something which is, has become largely intractable. And so in this case, I see little Nas X as a brilliant trickster, uh, within this, um, this music video, especially again at this time, um, as one, you know, historically speaking, I mean, in America, that as a country that was largely built on the the life energy, if one wants to call that eros, the which I do, um, built on the life energy of the slave trade, right? So here we have a country that was actually built on one founded on the religious uh, constructs of Christianity, as well as built upon the labor uh, in the eros of their slave population, and. Um, I would make the case too that the the culture as a whole has been largely uh, s- suppressed in its uh, integration of eros in in ways that aren't you know commodified or or toxified and all the rest. You know, for example, um, there's the cliche, of course, you know, like you know, white guys can't dance, for example, or or the real gifts that uh, black music and soul uh, and and rap and movement and all this dance. You know, has been a real gift to to the culture that they've been able to actually maintain largely that that expression to to soul and to eros uh, after being so brutally uh, oppressed and suppressed uh, by the slave and its legacy uh, by the slave trade and its legacy in that culture. And so, this is also why, for example, that here is in in this particular culture, uh, a young black gay man is able to offer this up and essentially queer this construct in such a powerful way. Um, I mean, it's phenomenal. And so, you know, again, I wanted to offer this up as really like a, a sort of deep mythical reclamation and reprogramming that, um, again, if you can't see it, uh, then you might totally misunderstand it. And, and I think a lot of people have, of course. And, and, you know, for those as well saying, well, you know, kids shouldn't see this. I say, yeah, okay, kids should not see this. <laughs> but I also see the consequence of adults in a culture that hasn't integrated these energies in in a more whole way. Uh, there is a real consequence, such as himself growing up under this deep uh, self-hatred that his religious uh, upbringing put on him that said, you know, if you feel this way or if you're having these feelings or if you're gay, you know, you're going to hell. I mean, that's the consequence to the kids by a culture that doesn't actually know how to hold these energies in a right way. It splits these two off, sexuality from the sacred. And so this, uh, you know, catchy, incredibly catchy track, I do, I will add, um, as well as the, the powerful iconography in the video is trying to actually bring us back into a sense of wholeness. Um, and so I just say, you know, wow, hats off and um, yeah, incredible. Anyway, if you want to hear a little more about what uh, I talk about on The Mythic Masculine, check it out at uh, mythicmasculine.com. 
as well as any of the podcast platforms. You can look up the same title, The Mythic Masculine, and tune in to the other conversations I have there. Okay. Thanks for listening. 